After feeding more than 5,000, Jesus knew the people wanted to make him king. And perceiving that they were intending to come and take him by force to make him king, John says he withdrew back again into the mountain by himself alone. He sent the disciples back to the boat and disappeared into the hills. He would be out of sight. The disciples wouldn't be able to see him. But as we'll soon discover, he would still be able to see them. The same is true today. Jesus may be out of sight, but he can still see us. And we have a very perceptive Savior. A Savior who sees us and knows what we need who knows us and knows what we want, and who knows what we really need and what will last. We continue our study in the Gospel of John, the sixth chapter. Now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, and after getting into a boat, they started to cross the sea to Capernaum. And it had already become dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. And the sea began to be stirred up because a strong wind was blowing. When, therefore, they had rowed about three or four miles, they beheld Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near to the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. They were willing, therefore, to receive him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Now, as we noted last week, all four Gospels record the feeding of the 5,000. Only three of them, however, record the nighttime crossing of the sea that followed. We'll flesh out the account this morning by adding the details that John doesn't include. John simply says that the disciples went down to the sea and after getting into the boat, started heading for Capernaum. Matthew and Mark make it clear that Jesus told them to leave without him. As we've noted, Jesus knew the intention of the crowd. And he may have wanted to get the disciples out of there before they too got caught up in the feeding frenzy. Mark notes that Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side to Bethsaida while he was sending the multitude away. John says they started to cross the sea to Capernaum, the city where Peter had a home and the place Jesus called home while at sea. Were they playing Jonah? I don't think so. Luke tells us that it was to Bethsaida that Jesus withdrew with the disciples after the return from having been sent out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing. He wanted to spend some time alone with them, but multitudes followed them to the same area, and that is where the feeding took place. Now, we really don't know for sure where Bethsaida was. In in fact, most are convinced there were at least two Bethsaidas on the Sea of Galilee. 
And since Bethsaida means house of fishing, it's possible that the Bethsaida to which he sent them was simply a fishing port not far from where they were. And they may have expected him to join them there. As it got late, however, they decided to go on to Capernaum without him. Now, even experienced fishermen didn't like being on the sea at night, especially on the northern part. The Sea of Galilee is like a bowl set some six to 700 feet below sea level, surrounded on most sides by mountains. Capernaum, however, is located on the plain of Gennesaret on the northwest shore. And at nightfall, wind often rushes down the plain and onto the sea, creating storms that come up quickly with huge waves. The disciples were apparently caught in those waves far from shore. And Mark tells us that Jesus saw them straining at the oars. Now, whether he saw them with physical eyes or spiritual eyes, we're not told, but he may have actually been able to see them because it was Passover, and there would have been a full moon. But either way, he knew they needed help. So during the fourth watch of the night, sometime between three and six, he walked out to the boat on the sea. Now, Mark says he was intending to pass them by, apparently to just let them know he was there. But it freaked them out. They thought they were seeing a ghost and cried out in fear. He responded, take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Or perhaps better translated, it is I am. Do not be afraid. Matthew tells us at this point, Peter said to him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And we all know how that ended up. Mark says when they knew who it was, they were willing to receive him into the boat. Now, I guess that means he wouldn't have gotten in if they hadn't invited him in. And I can't help but wonder how many storms we ride out alone because we don't invite Jesus into the boat. John doesn't tell us that the winds stopped when Jesus got into the boat like the others do. But he does tell us something that no one else says. He says, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Could they have been miraculously transported to their destination? I, I guess it's possible. You know, we really don't know what happened, but the disciples were impressed. Matthew tells us they bowed down in worship, saying, you are certainly God's son. Mark, who wasn't there, puts it a little differently. He said, they were greatly astonished, for they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their heart was hardened. They may have said he was God's son, but they certainly did not understand the power he had as the son of God. Even though they had seen him multiply the loaves and fishes, they didn't really expect him to have power over the physical elements. They were surprised to see him walking on the water. They were amazed that he could cause Peter to do the same. 
They couldn't believe he could calm a storm and cause the wind to cease. They had no idea. He could cross the time and distance barrier and get them safely to the shore. They didn't even think he was around. They didn't realize he was watching them. They didn't understand that the Son of God knew what they needed and would make sure their needs were met. How often are we like them? How often do we feel alone, frightened, afraid we're going to drown in a sea of troubles? How often do we forget that the Son of God knows what we need and is committed to making sure we arrive safely at our destination? He knows what we need and what we want. And he knows why we seek him, why we want him. Let's read on. The next day, the multitude that stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other small boat there except one, and that Jesus had not entered with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples had gone away alone. There came other small boats from Tiberias, near to the place where they ate the bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the multitude therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the small boats and came to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. The multitude that had been fed was still looking for Jesus the next day. They'd hung around all night. They knew there'd only been one boat, and Jesus hadn't gotten into it with the disciples. So they figured he was still in the hills somewhere, but they couldn't find him. Other boats soon started arriving from Tiberias, a major city about halfway down the seacoast on the western shore. A city that had been founded by Herod Antipas, who named it in honor of the emperor and made it his capital. It was a city most Jews avoided because of its Roman connection and because it was home to notorious hot water resorts that were frequented by Gentiles. Why the boats came, we can only speculate. Perhaps they came because more people wanted to see Jesus. The word had spread about the healings and miraculous feedings. Maybe the boat captains were just entrepreneurs. They knew thousands of Jews had walked miles following Jesus around the sea and would gladly pay for a ride back home. Whatever the case... Once the crowd determined that Jesus was no longer there, they piled into the boats and headed for Capernaum to find him. When they got there, they found Jesus healing people from all over the region of Gennesaret. When they found him, they didn't bother asking how he got there. They merely asked when he had arrived, and he didn't tell them when he got there 
or how he got there. He told them nothing about the miracles that had taken place during the night. The last thing they needed was to hear of more miracles. It was the miracles that had motivated their search. But they weren't looking for him because the miracles had convinced them that he was the son of God. They weren't coming to hear what the son of God had to say. They, they weren't coming to learn how they should live. They weren't coming to find out what God wanted them to do. They were coming because he had fed them. And they wanted more. Jesus knew what they wanted. And he knew if he gave them what they wanted, they would settle for something that would not last. He hadn't come to earth to fill their bellies. He had come to give them something eternal, something that would last. Do not work for the food which perishes but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man shall give to you. For on him the Father, even God, has set his seal. They said therefore to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. The people wanted to be fed. To them, that was most important. After all, to live, we must eat. You know, eating is not optional. If we don't have food to eat, we die. What can be more important than food? What was Jesus thinking when he said, do not work for food which perishes? That doesn't make sense. Of course, we have to work for food that perishes. All food perishes. And if we don't work, we don't eat. Even Paul said that. God himself ordained work in the Garden of Eden. Man was told to cultivate the land, and after sin, he was told he would have to work by the sweat of his brow. Obviously, Jesus wasn't suggesting that we stop working the fields and gardens. He wasn't suggesting that we should stop working to provide the needs of our families. He was simply saying that working for food that perishes should not be the chief priority of life. That some things are more important than our next meal. Now, the multitude had been so excited about the free lunch Jesus provided on the mountainside that they missed the point he was trying to make. The bread he miraculously multiplied was intended to be a sign pointing to him, the sustainer of life. Now, he's going to continue trying to get that point across in the remainder of this great chapter of John. He's going to tell them that he is the true bread out of heaven, that he is the bread of life, and those who eat him will live forever. Now, this will prove to be a hard concept for the Jews to understand and accept. And most will just walk away shaking their heads, disappointed that he wouldn't give them what they wanted. 
We're going to examine this carefully and try to make sense of all this as we explore the rest of the chapter. At this point, however, I trust we can accept the fact that some things are more important than food and that life should consist of more than the pursuit of things that will perish. We often get caught up working as if the pursuit of perishable things is the goal of our life, but we really do know better. We know we can't take it with us, and we believe Jesus when he said life does not consist in the abundance of things possessed. Sometimes it takes a hurricane or some other tragedy that wipes us out to get us back on track. Sometimes a timely reminder is all that we need. I pray a timely reminder will do. Consider this, that reminder. Let's go back to the text. You know, Jesus made it clear to the multitude that he is the source of eternal life. God had affirmed that to be true by the miracles Jesus had been performing. And they should have been able to understand the spiritual nature of the life he wanted to give them. He fed them physical food, which would only last until the next mealtime, to make it evident that he could give them spiritual food, which would last forever. Well, they kind of got it. But when he said they should be working for that spiritual food, the response was similar to that of most people. What shall we do that we may work the works of God? They figured they had to do something to earn eternal life. They figured Jesus had some new religious program that would make it possible for them to work their way into God's favor. His answer should have been good news to them. This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. We recognize that as good news. In fact, it is the good news, the gospel. The only work that is required for eternal life is belief in the Son of God. Now, that belief will change us and motivate us to do all kinds of works that express our gratitude for what he has done. And the work of sharing the good news, God's most important work on earth, has been given to us to do. But we don't earn eternal life by religious works. It's a gift made possible by the work of Christ on the cross. Our work is to believe it. And if we believe it, we will be changed by it. And we will share it. Now, again, it's not always easy to believe to trust, to have faith, even in the Son of God. Things don't always go the way we think they should. We get hurt, disappointed, discouraged. And we don't always understand what's happening to us or why Christ is letting it happen. But God has put his seal 
on the work of Christ. He confirmed it by the miracles we read about and if we have eyes to see, still see. Jesus did the works of his Father while on earth and he continues to do them today. Our job is to believe it and to trust him. Sometimes we get confused in living. We lose sight of that, which is really important. We blur the line between what we need and what we want. And we get caught up in things that won't last. But we have a Savior who knows what we need. We have a Savior who knows what we want. And we have a Savior who knows what will last. Let's trust him to provide what we need and what will last. Our job is to trust him. Trusting Jesus. That is all. Let's trust him. That is all. Let's stand.